Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. And welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here. We're breaking down the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race. It was a very interesting night with a new rules package uh, that, requ- that has featured restrictor plates, had new air dams, and all that kind of stuff. A very interesting night. I think it was an interesting night of racing. We're going to break that all down for you. Kevin Harvick, uh, as much as the rules changed on Saturday night in the All-Star Race from Charlotte Motor Speedway, the victor was the same Kevin Harvick. Dominant race car for most of the night. Finds himself in victory lane, John. Uh, a big night for Harvick winning a million dollars. What were your thoughts on Kevin Harvick's victory? Well, he said uh, last week after winning that it's almost like it's a video game now. It's almost like it's a game. Everything I, everything we do, we try to win. Um, the rules package was different. They, Like you said, the spoiler was bigger than our heads. Uh, the air dams, the putting in air over the wheel wells to make sure it kind of, and adding the restrictor plate. But the thing was at Charlotte last night, if you were on the top groove, I mean, you looked at it, they could get a toe off people in front of them. But if you did not make the move right then, if you could not slingshot by them, you were going backwards. So, I mean, it, you had a very limited hole to be able to get through, but if you didn't make it, you were going backwards. And for some reason, at the end of the race, the top groove, if you could get there, you weren't going to, I mean, you were passing whoever. I mean, Harvick, you look, he went, wound up going up toward the wall. He was in fourth place starting the final run, the last, I mean, going into the um, last uh, green-white checker before the end of the stage three. And he went up top, passed everybody, wound up taking the lead going into the 10-lap uh, shootout, and there was no catching him. It, I mean, it was some good movement back there. They were going back and forth, but nobody was really passing a whole hell of a lot. But also, if you were in the, if you were the lead, especially if you were Harvick, no one, no one was going to catch you. Oh, absolutely, I agree with you. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Talking circles, Clayton Cole, John Harley here with you. A couple of stats from last night: there were thirty eight uh, passes at uh, scoring loops for the lead, according to. Um, a few sources. Now, here's where I look at that stat and I go, eh, I'm not so sure that that's a great stat because I feel like, for example, John, what Daniel Suarez did to Kevin Harvick at the end on that final restart um, would have been considered a pass for the lead, although Suarez never really passed Kevin Harvick. He was in front of him on the inside, but a pass was never completed. So to look at that and say, well, 38 passes, that's why you look at lead changes at the start-finish line. Um, so I think that's, that number's a little skewed to, compared to what we've been throwing around. But there's no doubt it's been a – it was a step in the right direction. And I'll explain what I liked about the package and what I didn't like about the package in a little bit. Harvick was your winner. A good night for Daniel Suarez. Raced his way in from the open, was up front for most of the day. He finished second. Joey Logano was third. Benny Hamlin fourth. Chase Elliott got the fan vote. He finished fifth. Jimmy Johnson was sixth, Kyle Larson seventh. A.J. Almadea raced his way in as well, one of the three others to transfer. It was Suarez, Almondinger, 
um, and Alex Bowman to race their way in to the all-star race, along with Chase Elliott with the fan vote from the Open, which we'll get into a little bit as well. So I'm going to finish the eighth end. It was Kyle Busch and Casey Kane rounded out your top ten. Stenhouse was 11th. Then it was Dylan, Austin Dillon, Jim McMurray, pole sitter Matt Kenseth, Ryan Blaney, Ryan Newman, Martin Shrek Jr., Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, Brad Keselowski, and Alex Bowman rounding out the field for the all-star race. Like I said, a good night for Suarez. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he didn't lead a lot of races. A lot of laps. He didn't lead any laps actually um, in the in the All Star race, but transferred from the Open was up front for most of the day. I thought he did a pretty good, nice job there. Uh, just didn't have enough. I think Harvick, like you said, was the best car. He was able to win uh, and able to pull off. But a, a interesting night for uh, Suarez. I think he did a nice job. And um, you know, anybody else really stand out for you as far as other than Harvick? I know Kyle Busch led it 19 laps and, and uh, Truex before he had his trouble with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, on lap 75, um, led 17 laps as well. But was there anybody else other than uh, Harvick that really uh, you thought was was a was a great race car all night? I think uh, Daniel Suarez was. Um, nobody really expected him to make it. The one thing that was the biggest surprise to me out of the open, everybody ex- probably expected Eric Almirola to make it. Um, and one of the things that, as you keep going through it, Suarez worked his way through the open, got himself into the – and he started tail end Charlie. I mean, those are the last four cars whenever they hit the all-star race. And Suarez ran well all night. It wasn't like 16 cars wrecked and all that was left was Harvick, Suarez, and Joey Logano. No, Suarez passed people all night, worked his way through, and ran solid all night. I think it was one of the best runs that uh, Daniel Suarez has had in a cup car in the year and a half that he's been driving for Joe Gibbs Racing in the cup level. Um, I think A.J. Allmendinger did very well. Uh, ran his way through and nobody really was expecting AJ Allmendinger to make his way through the open to get to the uh, all-star race. And he did really well there. Um, There was a moment of a real, a quick moment of Jimmy Johnson looking good. And then that moment went away quick. I think Clint Boyer ran really well in the all-star race. Uh, He had his moments where he had to go back and forth, but he was passing cars and got caught up in the mess toward the end. But I mean, in reality, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Harvick and everybody else. It really was, and no matter what rule package it was, that's basically what it was. An interesting night, you know, uh, even Friday night was an interesting night before the Camper Truck Series race for these cup guys because you had the qualifying, which I love. I think it's a great um, asset of, of, of all-star weekend, as you call it, you know, the way they qualify going down pit road, flying down pit road. You saw Kyle Larson. Uh, basically give it all or nothing, flying down pit road, and uh, just an absolutely um, crazy, crazy day. But it ended with that Kenseth being on the pole. A lot of people were surprised by that, that we haven't really seen the speed out of the six car all year long. So for him to take it and, and go to the pole was really impressive. But I'll tell you what, John, um, and not to pick out on Matt Kenseth, but it was vis- visibly obvious early in that run uh, that that was all they had was was that pole run because whatever they did to that six car from uh, as far as the setup was concerned, they went in a completely wrong direction. Kenseth dropped back almost immediately, was was in last for a lot of the race, and the only reason why he finished 14th was because most of the cars that he that were in front of him had crashed. Even Blaney got into a little bit of wreck, and Newman too as well. So uh, Matt Kenseth, and, you know, and that six car, they got a lot of work to do, but. 
Uh, it was a, a good weekend. It was nice to see that six teams celebrate a little bit for them if you're a Matt Kenseth fan, but I think the all-star race showed they still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, it did. Um, after the qualifying run, Matt Kenseth sounded like Matt Kenseth with his dry humor and everything like that. And um, the one thing that uh, NBC NASCAR usually puts out is what everybody says after the race. There's nothing from Kenseth. I think he just took his helmet off, went back to the hauler and said, boys, we got a lot, a lot of work to do. And he said that coming out of Kansas, there's a lot of work to do at Roush Fenway Racing. And it was a good move. I mean, it was a happy day for Jack Roush to have both Kenseth and Stenhouse on the front row going into the all-star race. But Friday night was it because Saturday, I mean, Stenhouse had a couple moments, but nothing special. Wound up getting into it and uh, wrecking in the, in the all-star race. But Roush Fenway still out to lunch. Matt Kenseth is going to help them get better, but I don't know how much you can put on his shoes. I mean, how much you can put on his shoulders because there's a hell of a lot of work to do there. Yeah, there is. I mean, Pusha admitted that they went with a sort of an experimental setup here for the all-star race. And, and why not? I mean, I understand that from a little bit of a perspective where we're probably not going to use this setup again in 2018. I think the uh, RTA and the, and the charter agreement basically, um, prevents NASCAR from making a major aero change to these race cars mid-season. And that, this, to me, would be a major aero change mid-season. So I don't think we're going to see – if you like this package, I don't think we're going to see it um, until 2019. I think this is more towards a goal of 2019. But, you know, it was, it was a very interesting night. I want to talk about the Open really quick. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger won the third stage, as we said. Alex Bowman took stage one. Daniel Suarez won stage two. A.J. Allmendinger won stage three. And Chase Elliott got the fan vote. I agree with you. I think the guy who really stood out the most there was Eric Amarola. A lot of people expected him to run really good, led the first 11 laps. But after that, he was, you know, mirrored back and forth and fifth, never really was able to work his way up through the field again. Uh, He ended up finishing in the sixth spot, but that's with two cars off the racetrack at that point. Uh, Not a great day for him. I thought Paul Menard would have put up a better effort than he did. He bounced it off the wall, finished fourth in the final stage, but was never really a contender to win either stage. Uh, so he, he was outside looking in. Chase Elliott had a decent day, but again, uh, Hendricks just seemed a little bit off the Chevrolet cars. So I don't think there was any too, too many surprises in the open that we haven't touched on, John, about Almarola or, uh, you know, definitely a good night for AJ Almendinger. He seems to have a knack for getting into these races. Um, you know, the tenth, this is his 10th race, 10th time he was in the open or, or what used to be called the sprint showdown or yeah, the sprint showdown for a while. And he's gotten in four times. He's transferred in four times. So uh, A.J. Allmendinger sort of has a knack to get into the all-star race. Yeah, Allmendinger does have the habit of doing that. He shows up at big moments. Um, the all-star race, he, gets, he finds his way in there most every year. Um, he always shows up at the Daytona 500 and has a good run at the Daytona 500. And then the uh, road courses, you expect Allmendinger to because he's, that's where he grew up. That's what he's used to. But, I mean, you look, Allmendinger runs great at Bristol. He runs great getting into the all-star race. He always finds a way to get himself through the open and runs really well in the all-star race. But you watch sat- next Sunday night at the Coke 600, Allmendinger will be a 15th place car. I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's that short burst because, I mean, the one thing that bugs me about the way they set up the all-star race is you have the segments of 30, 20, 20, 10. You could go the first two segments and not gas up. 
I mean, if you really wanted to, if tires didn't make that much of a difference, which they did a little bit, but you could go the first two segments and not have to put fuel in the car. I mean, if you're going to make this a a real all-star race, put the whole team involved or just take everything out and go. Yeah, it was interesting. I I, I agree with that. You know, I like this the open format. I think it's good. It's just, you know, I just think four guys is a little excessive. I always said I think three was sort of the right amount when we took two, the winner and the second place guy, and then the fan vote. I think four is a little too many to bring to the All Star race. But as far as the Jalmendinger is concerned, I think this package last night sort of fit his style. You know, you can hold it wide open uh, and just kind of go for it. And uh, you know, he comes from an open wheel background, ran the Indy 500 a couple of times. That's what he's sort of grew up doing, so I think that really uh, fit his background well last night, so I think he, he really, the package uh, benefits a guy like Ricky, or like uh, A.J. Almendinger, excuse me, where you know he comes from a, a an open wheel background, like I said, to um, you know, holding it wide open, and so let's talk about the package a little bit. Um, it was an interesting package. I think a lot of, you know, you, you if you gauge social media, you gauge uh, the radio today and last night, uh, a lot of fans were, were were great about it. You know, they said, "Listen, we love this package. We love what it brought." Um, I think out of a ten, one to ten scale, I think it was sort of closer to a six or a seven for me. Um, I think it's a, a step in the right direction as far as I think we need to slow these cars down in the corner. I think that's good. It lets them run a little bit closer. You know, the arrow push isn't so bad in the in the corners when you're going slower. I like that part, but the fact that they didn't have any power and you couldn't pass the leader without any help, uh, that I wasn't a, a huge fan of. But I think it's a step in the right direction. It's definitely better than what we've seen at Charlotte here last year. If you remember, even in the 600, I think Martin Trix Jr. led 391 or 400 laps, um, and certainly wasn't the case. But also something to keep in mind with this package is we only saw it in short sprints here, where it was a 30-lap segment was the longest we this package in. Other than that, it was three 20 lap, four 20 lap segments, including the open, and then two 10 lap segments, uh, including the open. So just keep that in mind. These stages for the Coca Cola 600 are four 100 lap segments. So we're going to see almost triple the time we saw at the most with this package. So yeah, it was good, but it was, it, remember, keep in mind, it was short sprints. So I want to see how it does on a long sprint before I absolutely say we need to do this every at every mile and a half track. Well, I get a kick out of it is um, I was reading some of what Steve O'Donnell said, and he said we need to be patient. And like you said, the RTA has an agreement with NASCAR. It's, they're not going to put any super major changes into the, during the season because there's a lot of expenses the RTA and the team owners would have to comply with to be able to run what they're going to run. Um, if you think about it, one of the things – of why you look at why Harvick Harvick won. One of the things that he said right out of the box, thank you, Roush Yates engines, Doug Yates and Robert Yates, whenever before him, always, always want to make sure we're the fastest car on any restrictor plate. The engines that they put in these cars, they had to find a way to dyno them out and get as much horsepower as possible with a restrictor plate on it. And they knew what the restrictor plate was months ago. So Doug Yates and his team put a boatload of money and a boatload of effort to make sure those engines for these races last night had as much horsepower as possible. 
I think I was listening. I was actually watching the in-car camera of Harvick throughout most of the race because I got home late because I had to be at the Red Sox game for a little bit. So I missed the, I mean, I missed it. I was DVRing it. So I didn't want to mess up my DVR. So I'm watching it on NASCAR.com and I'm watching the in-car camera of Harvick and he didn't lift when he was in the lead. He did not lift. And I'm sorry, folks, going fast is one thing. If I want to see somebody not lift, I'm going to go watch drag racing. I want to see them be able to control the car. I mean, you look, some of the best drivers in the world control the car, not with the steering wheel, but with the gas pedal and the brake. Mm -hmm. And when you're not braking and all you do is have your foot hammered on the floor, that means there's 17, 18, well, last night, 20, 20 other guys whose foot hammered on the floor. And if everybody's pretty much running within a tenth or three-tenths of a second of each other, nobody's going to pass. You can't pass if everybody is locked to the floor and everybody's going about the same speed. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. They've got to find a way to slow the cars down, but also make it to where they have to lift in the turns. That's that's where your handling comes in. Yeah, I think, again, it certainly was better. I'm not huge on the infrastructure plates on these tracks. Again, I, I like the fact that it was slower through the corners. I think it's cool that you can sort of lean on each other a little bit. Um, you know, that's what this sport was built on, stock car racing. And Dale Jr. put out a tweet saying that what the 1992 pole speed was was very similar to this pole speed. And it's possible these cars went too fast. I totally, totally agree with that. I think we are too fast for stock car racing. I think we need to be able to add some weight to these race cars a little bit, figure out a way to make these cars a little slower without doing a restrictive plate. Now, the problem is these teams figure out a way to, you know, get around that. You know, they tried to do this before, and teams have gotten their downforce back and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I just would like to see um, them slower in the corners. Even I don't care if you, they're even slower on the on the back straightaway. Uh, if you want to slow the cars down, I'm all for that. I just want to see them have to where you sit there and you press the gas and you let off the gas uh, and and have to drive the cars through the corners and everything. I think that's good. Um, I don't know about, like you said, I just think when you hold it wide open, it's, it's hard to pass. And, you know, that 30 lap segment, the end of that 30 lap segment, it seemed like the last seven to eight laps that nobody was passing. And the thing I get afraid of is if these cars get real spread out again, we do double file restarts. Every, every restart last night was a double file restart. So these cars are close together and in the draft, that's really going to help them. Um, when, when you have a drafting package like this, is really going to help that. Um, so I think if you look at that, you say, 100-lap segment, they're going to be really spread out. Will these guys pass anybody, or are they going to run single file the entire way? That's where I get a little concerned. Um, we'll see. I mean, there are people out there smarter than me that make these decisions, but I think at the end of the day, it's um, – I just think it's – Take the restricted plates off, but slow them down through the corners. Again, I, again, I thought what we saw last night was better, but take them, take the restricted plates off. I just don't like it. It just uh, something about it. It just, like you said, it doesn't. It, you can't drive the cars through the corners. You can hold it wide open, and uh, I, I don't think that's the integrity of stock car racing. It might work for any car. If you're a fan of any car, great. If you're a fan of, of, you know, like you said, drag racing, great. But for me, stock car racing, you don't hold wide open. Uh, at, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It just doesn't happen. 
I think you've, if you notice the way it's worked this year, and Kevin Harvick has had a hell of a year, and we're not even a, we're not even halfway through. He's had a year that a lot of people dream of for their entire seasons, and again, we're still not 18 races into the 36 race season, and Harvick's going to get a couple more wins before we're done. One of the reasons Harvick has done the way he has this year is you look at how he is in the turns. He's able to hit the gas earlier than anybody else. I mean, he's one of those guys, he he lets off going in. So he goes into the turn and knows exactly where he can drop the hammer and, and have the bite coming off the turn. And he's been beating everybody coming out of turns all season long. And that's what it is. I mean, last night, if you have a if you have a, a Doug Yates engine in your car and you're out front and you can drop the hammer and nobody is going to have as much horsepower of you as you and all you have to do is just keep the foot on the floor because you don't have to lift nobody's going to catch you and that's one of the things that always always is going to work if you're in the lead and you don't have to take your foot off the gas and you've got a Doug Yates, Doug Yates engine in there, nobody's going to touch you. And we saw it last night in that last 10-lap segment. No one was going to touch him. As we go further, like you said, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, Marcus Smith, the president of Speedway Motorsports, is screaming, NASCAR needs to put this package in for the 600. Can you picture how many car owners are going up there saying, no way in hell unless you're going to give me the money for it? Because all Marcus Smith yeah. doing sitting back there making money, and he's saying, okay, exactly. we need to do this, we need to do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't turn cars over a week later with a brand-new package. Not going to happen. Yeah, and the owners will, will put their foot down, no doubt about it, like you said. And he's a businessman. He's trying to sell tickets. You know, so if he could say, hey, and these fans really like this package, you know, the fans are going to buy it. Obviously, that's what he at least hopes – and listen, I'm not trying to kill NASCAR. I think they, they made a, a good decision to try and, and improve this mile-and-a-half package. I think they, they tried. Personally, I just think I'm, a, I'm an old-school fan, and when I grew up watching Charlotte Motor Speedway, the races weren't as terrible as they have been the last four or five years. Now, they're, now they just seem like the leader can't be caught. Um, is there... To me, there's got to be other ways to where we can make this package better without putting restrictor plates on. That's where I get a little bit frustrated. It's like, okay, let's try and make this package a little bit better without putting a restrictor plate on. I think that would help this sport. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, I think it really doesn't matter what we think. NASCAR's got their fan council that they ask. Uh, they're going to take the fan calls. Everybody in the media is going to talk good about it. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll see this package and see what NASCAR wants to do with it. But, um, you know, we'll see. I guess that's all you can say is we'll see about this package. So anything else from last night, John, that really stood out to you from this rules package or anybody that had a really good run? Um, no, pretty much Harvick, Harvick, Harvick. Rules package is what it is. I mean, I don't think it's anything special. I think right after the race um, – I saw Lee in Virginia on social media, so I said, okay, thoughts, and the answer was, eh. It's a nice try, but, I mean, you're not going to solve the issues of what's going on in NASCAR 
especially whenever the race in the all-star race doesn't even make, I mean, each segment doesn't even make a full pit run. You don't do a full fuel load. So you don't know what's going to happen in there. And there were restarts built in every 20 laps or every 30 laps, depending on how the segment was. If you bunch them up, yeah, it's going to work that way. But right. and there wasn't enough time to really spread them out. But if they got spread out with that package, it'll make last last year's Truex run seem like it was a competitive race. It's interesting. I'm, you know, again, I'm not sure that I think it's an improvement than what we had last year. But I think once you get spread out, I, that's where I would like to see when we get 50 laps into a run, 60 laps into a run. What this package would do? It does the tire. Do the tires fall off? Does the handling of these race cars all of a sudden seem to change? I think that's the thing we need to get um, back into the sport where, you know, throughout a, a run is, you know, a car completely different thirty laps into a run than than they are sixty laps into a run than they are ninety laps into a run. And I think part of the reason why this sport has sort of lost its way a little bit here is because the cars have sort of maintained the same feeling throughout those long runs, whether it's the tires, whether it's the fact that the rules um, are so, you know, the rule package is so, um, you know, confined and there's not a lot they can do to these race cars. They don't have a lot to do with it as well. You know, um, everybody runs the same rules. We run the same package on the same, on the short tracks that we do at the mile and a half tracks. And I think it kind of makes you head, scratch your head and go, are we really doing this? Okay. So um, it is what it is. You know, we'll see what what what's the next step for this rule package. I doubt they have it for their Coca Cola 600. I'd be shocked. Oh, they're not. Maybe. Uh, O'Donnell I'd said there's shocked, no way maybe. they're gonna do it. Yeah, there's no way they're gonna do it. I agree with that. <clears throat> there's and again, two things it's because of the RTA. Go ahead. There's two things that um, thinking about the race last night and thinking about the history of NASCAR that I've been watching, and I've been watching it since uh, Petty and Pearson crashed on the way to the checkered flag flag Daytona 500. I looked at the special. They had a special on uh, the T-Rex car. And, yes, that was that car stunk up the show something fierce. And everybody thought about Ray Everham and then put traction control in it or something like that. No, Rex Stump, who is the chassis guy for Stuart Haas Racing, and Ray Everham said, okay, Mr. H- I mean, Rick Hendricks said, build the perfect car. And they did. Inside the rules, there was nothing where it failed in any part of inspection. When they tore that thing down, there was nothing that was illegal about it until Sunday morning. After Jeff Gordon was running a second a lap faster than everybody else, Bill France Jr. said, okay, that car is illegal. And Ray's like, well, we passed everything. He goes, nope, it's illegal now. Wait till you get the technical bulletin in the morning. You, it takes away the ingenuity of these car owners, these crew chiefs, the engineers, the chassis guys, that car was the most ingenious car in the history of NASCAR within the rules. Smokey Eunuch had an ingenious car all the time, but never Smokey ran today, he would have never been able to do anything because he broke too many rules. But they didn't have the inspection problem that they, I mean, inspection thing that they do now. But That T-Rex car was something special. We don't have anything like that anymore. Everybody's running the same thing, like you said. You and I have both preached on this and screamed and hollered from the rooftops, and unfortunately, Steve O'Donnell and 
Brian France and the folks down in NASCAR haven't listened to us yet, but sooner or later they might open the rule book, make them what they need to do instead of trying to find and get the most out of this small little box, open up the rule book and say, okay, here's what we have for safety. That's all that needs to be in the car. You can have this size engine. You have to run the tires that Goodyear gives you, and you have to have all the safety things we need in the car. After that, good luck, have at it, and we'll see what we get at the track. The other part that's messing up the sport as we see it today, think about how many real teams there are. Richard Petty Motorsports is a team in name only. They have an owner, they have a driver, they get everything from Childress. Same thing with JTG Doherty. They're a team in name only. They have Almendinger, they have Chris Busher, they have Tad Geschechter, they have Brad Doherty, they have Jody Geschechter, but they get everything from Childress. I mean, Hendrick provides engines to half the Chevy teams, and the other ones are provided by Childress. Roush Yates provides engines to all the Ford teams. TRD provides to the competitive Toyota teams. Everything is so centralized now because you've got the four-car teams and you've got the alliances and everything like that. Everybody's running the same stuff. There's nobody that's out there pushing the envelope. And when they push the envelope, it's in the smallest little thing. It's like, okay, let's see if we get the window to buckle in the back because that'll give us a little aerodynamic help. I think we got to stop the stop the yaw in the back of the make the car look like it's straight. If they have the camber that they have to do, that's great, but don't make the tail end go don't make the car look like it's running 3 quarters sideways already. Do what you can with a car that looks like a car. Follow the safety rules. Engine tires don't get changed. Gas doesn't get changed. Have at it, boys. That's the real have at it, boys. We should have. Uh, and I and here's what I've been saying for years, and and you know I just would like to see more options, even like, you know, as far as telling teams, listen, you can move that real spoiler any anywhere you want, but we're going to give you the height that it can't go past, and the and. You know, two two dimensions. It can't be this high. It can't be this low. It can't be this thick either. And we're going to be strict on that moment. We're going to be strict on that number. When we measure the car, if you're even the slightest out of tolerance, we're going to come down and we're going to hit you hard. But it can be in between these things. And give these teams more, you know, say, hey, um, let's say you want to run, you know, um, something different with the front nose. You want to push it out a little bit more say listen it can only be this far or this far it can't be if it's an, a quarter of an inch or one sixty-fourth of an inch too much we're going to penalize you i just would like to see more options i think it confuses fans i think what really hurts this sport now is this sport i think from a fan's perspective back in the 1990s if you do a race car if you were a mechanic or or had an interest in, in cars you could understand what was going on with these race cars. You could understand when somebody said, hey, it changed the track bar. Hey, they made some adjustments. You go, oh, I know what that is. I, I understand that. That's smart. That makes sense. They're doing this. Okay, I've done that in a car before. I've changed 
some things in a car like that before. I've changed the spring, changed the shocks. Yeah, 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 I've done that. I don't know what that is. It's easy stuff. But now we're talking about engineers plugging into computers. That, And I know this, the, the, the times have changed. It's not 1993 anymore. I understand that completely. But I just think it sort of looks at the fan. You're taking the fan and making them confused. And I, I think the, the fan doesn't like to be confused. They're looking at it going, I don't know. I, I don't know this sport. I don't know what they're talking about even when it, when it comes to these race cars. I think that's the biggest problem, part of the problem, too, where these fans are now confused. I would just – if you make it easy where you say, hey, the reason why uh, the two-car picked up a tenth is because they lowered the spoiler down a little bit. They go, oh, okay, they lowered the spoiler down. They put a little bit more – less downforce on a car or more downforce on a car. And great. That's what we want to see. That makes sense. Okay, I get it. Boom. And if we have those little changes that can make a, a big difference, uh, I think it would make the sport a lot better. I think a couple things that are interesting looking at it. Uh, Steve O'Donnell, who normally waits until Monday to speak with uh, Bagley and Pete Pistone in the morning drive on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, actually talked to the media after the race last night. And one of the questions that came to Steve O'Donnell, the vice president of um, competition basically for NASCAR, is I understand that you're saying about lead, what you're saying about lead changes at the loops. Like you said, Clayton, there was like 30 something lead changes at the scoring loops, but Harvick led the final 10 and it seemed like once the leader got up front, he was harder to catch. They asked O'Donnell, what would that be something that they would like to address if they run this package further? And O'Donnell goes, uh, it's something we actually have to look to address but he said last year, Kyle Busch won the all-star race by 1.1 or 1.2 seconds. This year, 10th place is one. That we had a green white checker, but O'Donnell didn't put it in there. There's a big difference. And he said last year, you knew on lap seven, that Kyle Busch would won the, would win the all-star race. Uh, he said it was a lot different this year, but it's something that NASCAR has to look at with the package. I still say, if you remember the first year they came out with the Gen 6 car, and they still had all the horsepower to go with it, that was probably one of the best seasons of competition we've had in a long time. When the car tomorrow went away in the first year of Gen 6 with the horsepower and everything, that was a solid, great season of NASCAR racing. And then they had to start tinkering with it. We got to put the tapered spacer on. We got to take look. We got to take downforce away. We got to lower horsepower. And since they started tinkering with it, it keeps getting worse instead of getting better. I think they ought to go back to the original way the Gen 6 car was set up, give them back the horsepower, and let the best driver win. And a second thing that bothers me, and uh, Moody was talking about this Friday, and I'm totally totally in agreement with it i'm starting to think why nask why does nascar have an all-star race other than the fact that it makes nascar some money the car owners don't make money out of it i mean you get a million dollars to win but i bet you any money it took them as a group a million dollars to figure out the research development engineering behind the car that won last night wind tunnel time um Doug Yates with the dyno trying to put all those hours in to make sure they got as much horsepower out of these engines. There's no win for the teams in these things. And also, 21 cars in the all-star race. 
If you think about Major League Baseball, there's 30 players on each team. So at least one player from each team is represented in the All-Star game. In the All-Star, I mean, there's 600-some players. There's 20-something players on each team. So there's 25 player, 20-man, five-man roster, 30 teams in Major League Baseball. That's 750 players. 37 regular drivers. 21 of them make the all-star race. That means more than half of your half of your drivers are considered all-stars. I think it's a joke. It's coming to the point where I don't even want to watch the all-star race anymore. I don't I mean, I don't see the reason behind it. You can't tell me that half of the field are all-stars. Right now, if you were to tell me to make an all-star team out of NASCAR, out of the Cup Series, I'm going to give you Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., and that's pretty much it. Kulowski. Yeah, because, well, Brad or Joey, take your pick. Or Blaney. I mean, right now, Jimmy Johnson's a seven-time champion, and I wouldn't consider him an all-star because they're running like crap. Um, Of the Penske teams, Blaney's running the best. Joey has a win, but Blaney's running the best. I wouldn't consider all three of them all-stars, but they are. I mean, right now, the people who you go into every race expecting to have a shot at winning are Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr. Not a Chevy to be found except yeah. for Larson. Well, and, and the thing is, it's, it's a, that comes to the question of the rules. I mean, as far as how do you put these guys into the all-star race – um, with the rules. And I do think, you know, Jimmy Johnson's an all-star. You need the big name in there. Guys won seven championships. Absolutely. Um, you know, the question comes down to, you know, they, they got Ryan Newman in the race who three years ago probably wouldn't have not been in the race because they took away the 10-year limit of winning uh, the all-star race. If you won the all-star race, it was only a 10-year, um, you know, grace period you had where you were only locked into the race for 10 years. And he won a race it should be a calendar year. It used to be a calendar year where if you want to race from May to May, be in the all-star race. But Newman won his race last year um, and before the all-star race last year. So technically he, if this was five years ago, he's not in the all-star race. Um, you know, Kurt Busch is a champion. He was locked in. Clint Boyer won at Martinsville. So, you know, maybe looking at a tweak of the rules, I understand that Casey Kane, he won a race last year, but I don't think he should be in other than, than that win. I don't think his uh, championship from 10 years ago, his win in the All-Star race from 10 years ago, uh, should carry any should carry him into next year's race, but it will. So I think those little tweaks we need to get back to, I agree with you, maybe we'll eliminate a car or two, but other than, and, and again, I like three guys out of the out of the open, not two, uh, or not four, I should say, so I think that would change some things up and get a couple of cars down, but it is what it is. It just you know, it makes you're right. It makes it kind of look kind of gimmicky, where you say, "Well, more than half the field's in the race," but I think it's more of a product of that we don't have a lot of race cars anymore. Than uh, you know, I guess our race cars are more competitive now. Uh, we have a lot more competitive cars than we did ten years ago. Um, and and to me, the twenty one car should have been in because I like the fact that a team a team winning a race in the last calendar year should be in, like like Ryan Blaney. I think his team from last year should have been in as well because it's a team sport and we celebrate that. So um, just, you know, little tiny tweaks we can make to the rules. But, um, yeah, it, it certainly 
there's certainly a lot to digest from yesterday. Uh, again, I think it was a step in the right direction, but um, there's still some work to do. 917-889-8280. Something else I want to get your take on, and we're going to move on to the Indianapolis 500 after this little bit of uh, news there as far as bump day for the first time in over five years and uh, pool qualifying as well today. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, did you see the rule, John, about qualifying where they now are – giving team the options to start the race on their qualifying tires. It used to be mandatory um, where you have, to, you have to start the race on your qualifying tires. Now they're giving teams the option to do that. Um, I, personally, I thought it was always ridiculous that they did that, especially when you have qualifying where teams are sort of making – the big teams are making one lap of qualifying in the first round and not going out again and not trying to best their time because they're worried about putting laps on their tires. Uh, I think it hurt the entertainment of qualifying. I think it was ridiculous. I think teams were playing games as far as getting through inspection. They they were pushing the limits so they didn't have to take a qualifying lap so they could have saved the laps on the tires. All that – this eliminates all that – the games that were being played, Uh, and I think it's a step in the right direction. Thank goodness. Thank goodness they've they've changed this rule, John. Well, it used to be back in the day – I feel I, it's pretty bad. I feel like I'm chocolate Myers. Now, back in the day, let me tell you, um, they used to have the top 10 cars would start on the tires they qualified on whenever they would run individual laps. And since they went to the knockout qualifying, they have the, everybody runs the laps they qualify, I mean, runs the tires they qualify on. That was one of the RTA saying, hey, we got to pay Goodyear a ton of money for a set of tires that we ran one lap on or whatever to qualify with let's make it where we have i mean because you look nascar's cut back on the amount of tires they can run through the i mean that they are allotted through the race now if this counts against their allotment of tires i could still see some people starting on the tires they qualify on the smaller teams again this is one of those moves that's going to separate the big teams from the small teams roger penske has set of tires is a drop of the bottom. I mean, he's got that much money in his pocket um, go fast racing does not. And I think it's just going to separate the big teams from the little teams. I don't see it as a, I think it helps whenever you get the cars that don't qualify or don't make it through inspection. They're going out there starting dead last on brand new tires. And you've got a guy who fought to get to 11th place because he wanted to get that top 12 starting spot for his sponsor and his team and ran the extra five laps to get to it. And his tires are going to be junk whenever they go on the racetrack to start the race, especially in a place like Darlington or somewhere like that where tires get, or Atlanta, where tires get eaten for breakfast. Um, They're going to go out there and go backwards off the start while the guy who couldn't make it through pre qualifying inspection is going to make it to the third lap. They're trying to level the playing field, which I understand. I still think that if, um, if they don't make it through qualifying, they have one set of tires in practice that they must run 15 laps on, and those are the tires that they would start the race on. So they don't have that advantage coming from the rear of the field. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And, again, I think smaller teams definitely will, uh, like you said, you know, teams like the 72 car and the 51 that, um, you know, have at least charters or have charters for a year that are trying to make as much money as possible. Um, I think they will definitely start to race on their older tires because they're not really trying to look, go out and, um, you know, win races, I guess you can say. They're, they're sort of trying to run on a budget and learn 
and um, and and keep it up. But you know, a couple of laps on their tires, and they're not really going to advance into the second round of qualifying. So um, they might start they might start the race on the tires for sure. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Indianapolis five hundred. We t- always touch on this race because it's such a huge race. In May, it's it's Memorial Day weekend. We have the, the triple header coming up. Indianapolis 500. Interesting weekend out in Indianapolis this week. Uh, it was bump day yesterday, and one of the big-name drivers uh, missed the Indianapolis 500 in qualifying. Uh, People Man was one, and the other driver was James Hitchcliffe at a Honda. Um, he missed for uh, Sam Schmidt Motorsports. Um, a lot of people I read on social media today, John, and yesterday – talking about how NASCAR has a chartering system and that Indianapolis should acquire a chartering system because they don't want their full-time drivers, which Hinchcliffe is running for the championship. The Indianapolis 500 is a double points event, and this is really going to hurt his chances at running for the championship. What are your thoughts on that, and what are your thoughts on Hinchcliffe missing the 500? They're not expanding to 35 cars to get Hinchcliffe or Pippa Man in, but James Hinchcliffe will run the Indy 500. Uh, Sam Schmidt was entering three cars. Car is a full-time driver. One car was a one-off driver, and the other car was James Hinchcliffe. You watch. The one-off driver will be, hey, thank you for coming. We appreciate you, uh, but we need to put Hinchcliffe in the car so he can get the double points that come out of this race. You don't have to worry about Hinchcliffe. He will be in the Indianapolis 500, even though he didn't qualify in it. Uh, Excuse me. I think one of the things that was interesting yesterday, excuse me, was the way James Hinchcliffe handled not making the 500. Uh, Pippa Mann was on the track as the gun blew, this gun went off to say, okay, qualifying's over. And James Hinchcliffe was sitting in his car waiting to go out. And Pippa Mann was a second and a half off of the time that would have got her into the field. But she didn't pull in to give Hinchcliffe the chance to go out that last second. And Hinchcliffe stayed with all the class in the world and said, hey, she deserves every right to possibly qualify. That's my fault. We misjudged what time because they thought there was 10 more minutes in. Uh, Yesterday was messed up at Indy because they had two rain delays in qualifying rounds. So it wound up it was a really compressed time schedule, but Hinchcliffe took the fault of his own and his team. He said, Hey, we made a mistake. We thought we had 10 more minutes. 10 minutes wasn't there. The gun went off and Pippa man was on the track. And he says, Hey, she had every right to deserve to try to qualify as well. Absolutely. So it was a great act on James, James Hinchcliffe. I mean, he could have easily said, well, she was two seconds slower. She should have pulled herself in. So I had a chance to get out there. He said, Nope. She has every right to qualify as I do. And, you don't find that kind of a class act very often anymore. Uh, right Pippa Mann, plus, my, she's, one of those, she's one of those ones that, I mean, she's a field filler, and she's a name that people like to say. I mean, it, it has a little um, extra diverse, diversity to the field, but Pippa Mann's never going to fight to win an Indy 500. Hinchcliffe, um, if they would have got it figured out this week, and he will probably run the one of the cars that Sam Schmidt Motorsports, Schmidt Peterson Motorsports has in the race. So he'll just drive somebody else's car and they'll get it set up in there. And I think he'll be um, running respectable on next Sunday. I think one of the things that was really interesting was Helio Castro Nevis, who is only running the day to, or in the Indianapolis 500. Um, 
was the fastest car on Saturday and wound up only eighth yesterday. And uh, Castro Nevis said he was praying for rain. He They took a gamble. It didn't work. But um, starting eighth in the Indy 500, you can make you can do some damage there. And um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, the story of the day today was Ed Carpenter, the uh, stepson of Tony George, who owns this. I mean, the, his family owns a racetrack, but he's done this on his own. He's got his own team. Um, Danica's driving for him. She's in the top nine. Uh, but Sam, I mean, um, excuse me, Ed Carpenter. He knows his way around the racetrack. He grew up there. But I mean, that guy can fly when it comes to Indy. He qualifies really well. He runs decent. Hasn't ever gotten the finish he's wanted. It's his third career pole at Indy for the Indy 500, but he's never made it to uh, kiss the bricks at the end of the day. Uh, it'd be a great story to see um, Ed Carpenter do it. But I mean, the top nine—they're all up there. They're all respectable. I mean, one of the other good one is Sebastian Bourdais, who uh, broke his hip and his femur last year in a in a practice crash was not able to run the Indy 500. He's up there fifth. Uh, Joseph Newgard, Will uh, Power, Simon Pagino, all the Penske cars are in the – all four Penske cars are in the top eight. So, you know, it's Roger Penske and everybody else when it comes to the Indy 500, though. Yeah, listen, I, you know, about the Hinchcliffe thing, uh, my respect for him went, went way up, I, you know, as far as how he handled this whole situation – but the fact that people want to have charters and lock these full-time drivers into the field, I'm sorry. James Hinchcliffe and that team needed to be faster yesterday. I know there were some circumstances out of their control, but everybody else was sort of in the same boat. And they qualified in for the Indianapolis 500. And I'm not telling, saying that you should have run out and run the pole, pole speed. All he had to do was beat two cars, and he could, that team couldn't do that. They have all the engineering and all the, the, the technical support and all the money that team has from Honda and, and all their sponsors coming in that are going against one-off drivers in this race and one-off teams in this race, and they weren't faster than them. Um, this is a guy who sat on the Indianapolis 500 pole two years ago. So to me, um, there's nobody to blame but themselves. They need to be faster. And yet it, kind of, it stinks because he's a nice guy. He's, he's a popular guy. Part of motorsports, and it's part of what happens. And it made bump day to me. Listen, I don't watch Indianapolis 500, but I was – I don't watch Indy much, but I was watching Indianapolis 500 bump day, and I was on the edge of my seat trying to figure out who was going to go home and, and make this race. Connor Daly was on the, on the edge there. It was very, very entertaining, and it was because you knew for the first time in, in years that we knew somebody was actually going to go home and miss this Indy 500. Somebody's dreams were going to be destroyed, and Hinchcliffe's championship hopes for 2018 are on the rocks now. As you said, they might buy somebody. They might buy him into the field. They might move a driver out of a car. They are Smith Peterson Motorsports. That's probably pretty likely what's going to happen. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't really feel sorry for the team because it's not like something was out of their control that you know they didn't get a time on the track and they just missed or they they you know they had a little bit of a tire issue. But again, that was sort of their fault too, where you know stuff like that happens at the end of that at the end of that qualifying where they went on a track and they decided to pull it in because he had a huge vibration. So, um, you know, it happens. That's, that's racing and that's the way it goes. So I don't feel too, too bad for him. A couple of points for today, as far as pole qualifying, which was today, um, where they really set the field. Um, Ed Carpenter, as you said, nice to see a guy running his own team, uh, from Indianapolis to go out there and, and run at 229 miles an hour on an average, 
a mile an hour, uh, one mile an hour faster than Simon Pagano in second. Uh, that was a, a blistering, blistering pace that Carpenter set set on on Sunday here. Uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see what he does a week from now. Uh, Will Power is fast. Sebastian Bourdais, you mentioned him. Thought his comments were interesting. He admitted that he lifted in turn one uh, on his first, on his second or third lap because he didn't trust the race car. And, and they asked him, would you have done that last year before the accident? And he said, quote, no, I would not have done that because you don't trust the car as much as you used to. I thought that was interesting. I think Bourdais is one of the best drivers in the world, uh, best open-wheel drivers in the world. And for him to come out and admit that is kind of startling. Um, not the fact that you call him a baby or anything, but it just I, I think a lot of drivers wouldn't admit that, that they would they lifted because they were a little bit fearful for what happened in an accident. Um, I think it won't be a big, too big of an issue as far as Indianapolis is concerned next week. But, and and Bordet's fast. He's the fastest Honda. Hondas weren't really great today. There was only two in the top nine. Uh, Marco Andretti's the third Honda in 12th. A lot of Chevrolets up front. So it's going to be interesting to see what they what they put out. Um, a, a nice performance today and, and, and this week from the AJ Foy cars. Tony Kanaan in 10th. Uh, he's won this race a couple of times. A rookie in 11th. Matthias Elise, who uh, was very, very fast as well. Those are the A.J. Foyt cars this year. So it would be nice to see A.J. Foyt, a legend in the Indy car, who struggled in Indianapolis the last couple of years, be very competitive, and I think that's the case on Sunday. Yeah, I think A.J.'s team is going to do well. I mean, Tony Kanaan brings a lot to a team. If you think about – we talked about how Matt Kenseth does with um, Roush Fenway. We're expecting um, – the team to get better because Matt Kenseth's there and can help provide guidance from the uh, driver's seat. Tony Kanaan sort of the same way when it comes to IndyCar. He's one of those veterans who knows how to get around the track. He knows how to be consistent. Um, he's just a guy, a guy who can help get your team better. And AJ Foyt's team stock rose the minute Tony Kanaan signed a contract with AJ Foyt racing. Um, when you look at the top nine, again, like you said, Chevy's, dominate the top nine there's only two hondas up there but last year chevy dominated the uh qualifying as well and honda lasted on rea- reliability so we'll see how they go this year i think um everybody's looking at danica because it's her last race allegedly ever i got a feeling if somebody decides to bank back a truckload of money up to her she will run somewhere again but i don't think somebody's going to buck uh back up a truckload of money to her she ran seventh, uh, said she was fairly consistent. All in all, it's a good feeling. Now it's time for the 500 miles. Um, one of the things that was interesting uh, were um, you heard one, some of the drivers saying that the car was up on the track, which meant they didn't feel like they had grip. They felt like it was loose. They could uh, end up in the wall at any possible time. So it makes it's going to make it an interesting run whenever they run the 500 miles at the brickyard on Sunday. Um, it's the only race I watch when it comes to Indy cars, because I mean, it's tradition. I mean, you wake up every Memorial day as early as you can. You watch the grand prix of Monaco, then you eat breakfast and you watch Indy and then you throw a couple burgers on the grill and then you watch the Coke 600. So, I mean, it's, it's a full day of racing that you, everybody gets on Sunday. And the 500 miles in yeah. Indy, I still wish that they would move it up a little earlier to possibly do the doubles again. Because I think when Kurt Busch did the double, I think when Tony Stewart did the double, I think when John Anthony did the double, it brought more um, 
more eyes to the track on both of them because they wanted to see if they made it back to Charlotte in time or see how they ended up doing at Indy. And there was one time where Stewart looked like he had a chance to win the Indy 500. If he would have, he would have been late getting to Charlotte. I can promise you because you're going to kiss the bricks. You're going to go through the celebration, especially if you're Tony Stewart winning at Indianapolis in an Indy car. It'll be all hell be damned whenever it came to Charlotte. I'll get there when I get there. I might finish the. I might get there for like lap three hundred and finish the race, but I'm not missing the celebration of winning the Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it would be great to see that again, no doubt. I think you're right when it says brings more eyeballs to the track. One other interesting thing from today that I thought, uh, as far as so a surprise on the day was Alexander Rossi, who won this race two years ago in the Napa car. Um, and was very fast just on Saturday on bump day, almost bumped Danica Patrick out of the top nine to where she wouldn't have run for this pole today. Um, and almost bumped her out yesterday and, and was 10th fast on bump day and cup qualifying. He's 32nd quick, uh, second to last. So a, a surprising day from Alexander Rossi. Uh, a couple of guys who have been notoriously slow that you that have big names. Graham Rahal has bought, you know, we know his father, Bobby Ray Hall, um, he's 30th. He wasn't hasn't been very fast all week. J.R. Hildebrand's another guy who came close to winning this race a few years back. He's 27th. Um, so a couple of surprises there towards the back end of the field as well. Yeah, it was. Um, I think Graham Ray Hall had a couple days during the week where he had he was on the top of the speed chart, but they, he was getting a toe every time. Uh, whenever he had to go out and run by himself, he wasn't doing as good as he could. I mean, he wasn't doing what he would do with a toe in. I think when it comes Sunday, there are a lot of good cars in the back half of the field. And it's been that way for a while. And, I mean, you look, Ryan hunter Ray starting 14th. That's your uh, big mark. He's the one who's the lead dog when it comes to Andretti Autosport. I mean, Marcus An- Marco Andretti's 12th. Um, J.R. Hildebrand starting 27th. Ray Hall's 30th, Sage Karam's back there in 24th. There's a lot of good cars in the back of the pack. Takuma Sato, who won it last year, he's starting 16th. So, I mean, the back half of the field is pretty loaded. Um, It's going to be an interesting race. You're going to see comers and goers like you do every year at Indy. Uh, If you ask me for a pick right now of who I think is going to win the Indy 500, and I'm picking it from the heart, I would love to see either Ed Carpenter win it to for the guy who's uh, went out and put his own team together and everything, or I'd like to see Elio Castro Nevis win it to get his fourth to be there with Rick Mears and Al Unser and AJ Foyt as the four-time winners of the 500. Yeah, I, you know who I'd pick right now, and honestly, I just because I think he's that talented, and I think I believe it's its first Indy 500 Sebastian Bourdais. I, w- I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles. We'll see you back here uh, next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.